There is a, a growing talk about whether the dollar could soon be displaced by a rival currency, both as a reserve currency in central banks around the world, as well as the currency used in an overwhelming percentage of global trade. I'm Sky Nell Hughes, and on this edition of 360 View, we are going to look at one of the top rivals to the U.S. dollar and how this is affecting the already tumultuous relationship between the United States and China. Let's get started. Historically, the U.S. dollar has been a strong currency and has been widely used in international trade and finance. However, in recent times, the power of the Chinese yuan, also known as the renminbi, has been growing steadily as China's economy has continued to expand and become more integrated with the global economy. Now, the Chinese government has taken steps to liberalize the yuan and open up China's capital markets to foreign investors, allowing foreign companies to issue yuan-denominated bonds and promoting the use of the yuan in cross-border trade settlements. The response by other world powers seems to produce the desired results, and the Chinese efforts have not been in vain. Now, at the end of last month, China and Brazil reached a deal to trade in their own currencies, ditching the U.S. dollar as the intermediary. China also has similar deals with Russia, Pakistan, and several other countries. In February, the Central Bank of Iraq announced plans to allow trade with China to be settled directly in the yuan currency for the first time to improve its access to foreign currency. Those who defend the dollar and say rumors of its death are greatly exaggerated point out the greenback as an entrenched incumbent and widely trusted as a safe haven. But is their confidence based on the past giving a false confidence regarding the U.S. dollar's future. Joining me now to discuss is a geopolitical and market analyst, as well as the publisher of the Gold, Goats, and Guns newsletter and blog, Tom Luongo. Tom, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So I have to ask, is the dominance of the U.S. dollar at risk? And who would be considered the major competitors to the U.S. dollar currently? Well, it is... There are a lot of risks, as you pointed out in your opening. Uh, but at the same time, those risks in the near term are more meme than reality, right? Uh, global, the dollar still settles 90% of global trade. Most uh, funds are still denominated in you know, buying um, AAA-rated debts, such like the, 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 the U.S. Treasury and whatnot. There's a lot of money that wants to get out from underneath the dollar system, but it's going to take a long time for that to happen. We're seeing all these steps being taken today, and they're laying the foundation for it, but it's not necessarily uh, a thing that's, you know, going to change tomorrow. And this is, I think, one of the big the, the big issues that we have, the kind of the big disconnects we have to rectify uh, in, our, in our thinking here. Uh, long term, I'm a dollar bear. Short term, I'm a dollar bull. It all depends on what time frame you're talking about. Well, and time is obviously very important. It all depends on current events and what is happening and, and the relationships sure. between the various countries. But currently, the yuan seems to be the most popular currency being talked about to compete with the dollar from other countries. Mm -hmm. Why do you think this is? Well, it's just because China has the most vibrant economy outside of the United States, right? And they have the balance sheet room at the People's Bank of China to expand the currency and expand the use of its currency through the this, you know through the selling of of yuan backed bonds and whatnot uh, denominated bonds in order to facilitate 
growing uh, global trade settled in Yuan. And then as long as the Chinese act trustworthy with their trade partners, then they're going to be willing to hold those bonds as foreign exchange, um, you know, in their foreign exchange reserves uh, as they build up you know, trade deficits, you know, as they build up trade with them. And this is the way the this, this system is going to build up. It's exactly the same way the dollar replaced the British pound. Well, it's interesting. So, button woods. Well, but it's interesting because a lot of people feel like they might have more confidence in the yuan based on the fact of what it's backed up by. So what exactly is it backed up by? And is it actually hurt that the dollar for several decades is supposed to be backed up by gold, which we know is more of a fantasy than actual reality? Well, the Chinese are expanding their gold reserves. I think they play fast and loose with how much gold they actually have. I think they they, they use that they use announcements of how much gold they actually have backing the yuan and their foreign exchange reserves as a, a political and, and geopolitical tool. Um, and so far, it's actually been to the dollar's advantage, to be honest with you, because I think they are massively understating their gold reserves uh, in order to keep their currency. And, a, and an exchange rage that they want it to be. I don't really believe at this point. I think some one of the things that's kind of under uh, being uh, that's an undercurrent to this discussion is whether the Chinese care about the U.S. dollar Chinese yuan exchange rate as much as they care about the Chinese yuan versus all of their other emerging trade partners, such as the ASEAN Tiger Five, like the the Thai baht, the Malaysian ringgit, the Singapore dollar. Right, those are very important currencies to the Chinese. And for years, the Chinese have been really managing their ex the exchange rate of the yuan, the real effective exchange rate, what's known as the rear. And you can look this up on the St. Louis Fed's got data on this, that they manage that far more closely than they manage the dollar yuan trade. I think, honestly, there's a divorce coming that is desired by both sides, both the U.S. and China, as far as how much we have uh, an intercoupling of our economies. And that divorce is, the terms of that divorce are being discussed right now. Well, it's interesting. That's what I see coming. You bring up that divorce, but just like with any divorce, it's always the children that suffer the most. So what happens if the Chinese and the United States economies do have this divorce? Uh, do you, what happens if we have a diversified uh, central currency that could, there's no longer a central currency, they both win. What does the rest of the world yeah. have to deal with? Well, the, that what has to happen then is that the, that the United States needs to shrink its balance sheet, right? This is part of the reason why the Fed is raising interest rates. It's part of the reason why the Fed is engaging in aggressive quantitative tightening, i.e. shrinking their balance sheet, allowing the stock of U.S. Treasuries that they own to run off their balance sheet and to try and deleverage the U.S. balance sheet such that there aren't so many dollars floating around the world, such that as this divorce takes place, we don't see a dramatic collapse in the dollar. And again, I think this speaks to the way the Chinese have been handling this change. And they've been handling it in what looks like, to me, a very responsible way. They, they, and, and they have to, because they're dependent upon global trade to continue. They're just as we are dependent upon the dollar to continue to flow around the world. So this, it's a, it's a game of, it's not a game of chicken, it's a game of push and pull, right? They're gonna de-dollarize some of Asia, some of Africa, and by the same token, we're going to de-dollar. We're going to accept that de-dollarization. At least the Fed is, and we're going to accept that de-dollarization. And we're going to try and retire, retire some of these uh, dollar-denominated um, deficits out, the, the demand that's out there. And you know, the, the system will the system will change, and then we'll have re, we'll have a regional currency box, which is anathema to, frankly, the globalists that run the Biden administration. And that's the source of the tension.
which is part of the reason why we see so many people at the leadership level in the United States pushing for war with China. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because there's also, like you said, geopolitical implications in all of this. China has been aggressively purchasing gold recently, whether they're telling us completely. But do you see this as countries like China and others actually trying to protect their economies from sanctions, which are possibly could be put in place by the U.S. in the future because they're looking at the past and this threat that the U.S. and the EU constantly gives to other countries of sanctions? Oh, agreed. Uh, completely. The, the, the seizure of $300 billion of Russia's foreign exchange assets in February or March of 2022, uh, the opening of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, uh, was a watershed moment in human history. And to make no, about, about, no, make, make no doubt about it, like, this was a watershed moment where everybody around the world said, wow. Okay, it's one thing to go after Venezuela or Iran. They are not to a lesser extent, they are not major players in the world economy. The Russians are the supplier of the marginal barrel of oil and the marginal therm of gas and the marginal single work unit of uranium and pound of tungsten and pound of titanium and, in many ways, aluminum in the world. These are the commodities and grain, even now, grain. These are the commodities on which the entire world economy runs and operates, and you just seized $300 billion worth of their foreign exchange assets. You just invalidated the entire post-Bretton Woods world of we can have competing fiat currencies, debt-based currencies, holding each other's debt as reserves. You just, you just invalidated that entire system. So, of course, there's now a fundamental change in the way people are thinking about how they do business. Because we've made the dollar now a weapon to use against the people who say, you know what, we disagree with you. And there are now other powers in the world. It was, that was fine when we were the effectively the unipolar superpower with open capital markets, the only one with really a superpower with open capital markets. The USSR did not have an open capital market, whereas China today is now a rival in that, that sense and has allies, the most notable of which are Russia and Iran because they're massive producers of vital commodities that will power the bringing, uh, the onboarding of their middle class, of their people into the middle class, thereby changing the dynamic of how commodities flow around the world. And ultimately, it's the trade in commodities that is what governs what currencies are going to be dominant and what debt people are going to be willing to hold. And that's the issue. And so it's, I think it's right that Jerome Powell is trying to shrink the balance sheet and clean up our, our uh, clean up things on the monetary side. And of course, Congress needs to do their job on the fiscal side. And in many ways, that's that's 90 percent of what Putin and Xi complain about. Well, you aside from all the militarism. So it's I... like once you back off, once you back off the, the, the monetary right. uh, angle on this, then all of a sudden the military angle becomes a lot less threatening to everybody, and we can negotiate the terms of the divorce without a world war. Well, Tom, you bring up some great points. Hold on, because I want to follow those up after the break. Also, after the break, we are going to continue this conversation and look at the effect this is having on the relationship between China and the United States.
At the end of the 19th century, Africa was divided between European empires, which mercilessly oppressed the indigenous population. Modern-day Tanzania used to be a German colony. The Germans levied heavy taxes on local tribes and used them as free labor on cotton plantations. The peasants' protests turned into an uprising against the colonialists under the banner of the religious movement of the Maji Maji. It was led by a man named Kinji Kitil. The rebels used guerrilla tactics because they did not have the power to crush the German army in head-on confrontation. But the Germans were not able to suppress the resistance of the guerrillas either. So the invaders decided to starve the population to death. One of the commanders of the German troops, Captain Wagenheim, wrote, Only hunger and want can lead to final submission. Military actions alone will remain more or less a drop in the ocean. The blasphemous plan worked. The invaders burned villages and fields. In two years, Germany deliberately starved up to 300,000 people to death. Later, the monstrous experience of the Second Reich in Tanzania was copied by the Third Reich, led by the Nazis in order to extirpate the peoples of Europe. Welcome back. We are talking today with Tom Luongo, who is a financial analyst and blogger, about the potential fall of the U.S. dollar and what is going to replace it. Welcome back, Tom. You know, I want to continue this conversation that we were talking about, obviously the geopolitical assets that are happening in this debate. You know, is this debate about the dollar versus the yuan happening globally, causing tensions between the United States and China and possibly the United States and other countries who are deciding to do trade with China, not in the U.S. dollar? Well, certainly. And it's always been that way. I mean, you know, the, one of the critiques of U.S. foreign policy is that anybody who decides they want to get off of the dollar reserve standard in either oil, the oil trade or, you know, threaten to back the currency with gold or whatever seems to get invaded within the next six or, six or eight months. Right. Um, then, then that's been going going on since the Clinton administration. This is nothing new. The question now is whether or not that system still has um, the same level of efficacy that it had then. Right. And because today the world is a lot different. We now have China with when you when you think about GDP and purchasing power parity terms, not in nominal terms, but in purchasing power parity, what that GDP, what that spending buys you, you you have a completely different view of the world than you current than we currently have. Um, and the, the big one is that the Russians are have a bigger economy than the Germans. Right. So that's a big that's a big one. So Russia is not Russia's economy is not the size of Texas. <laughs> it's not. It's might it's more like 20% larger than mighty Germany is. So and the same thing was with the Chinese and their their economy. Today we have a different world. And so sadly the p same people who were in charge for the old policy are continuing to try and take that same policy and push it into the 21st century and the only other option now is to continue to escalate because small conflicts and small threats like freezing the Russians uh, foreign exchange 
assets didn't work to cow the Saudis, for example. So these things are all constantly happening, and these these skirmishes between East and West through proxies are constantly going on, most notably now Ukraine. So, you know, when you ask a question like that, it's like, of course, it's about the currency. It's about the, the, the settlement of trade. It's about the ability of the West to continue to use dollars or dollar substitutes as the means by which to enslave through the use of debt whatever whatever country they want through that debt and the effectively neo-colonial process of of the IMF and the World Bank that is the thing that everybody is trying to protect frankly and we're starting to see the Chinese and the Russians and the Iranians to a lesser extent challenge that in places like Egypt South Sudan and others and most notably now even Pakistan so now there's a fight between the civilian and military Pakistan. um right. Uh, institutions in Pakistan, which is a very important part of China's strategy to unite Central Asia under a new, you know, a new yuan-based standard. Which is interesting that you bring up the fact that it's the growing strength of these other countries that are actually allowing this debate to happen about getting away from mm -hmm. the U.S. dollar. But a large yes. part of this also has to do with OPEC. How is this going to affect OPEC, and where does OPEC stand looking forward? What is in OPEC's best interest? Uh, what's in OPEC's best interest? To stop using the dollar. It's really just that simple. Uh, and they're doing it. The Saudis are making noise about, you know, taking other currencies, and they will. The Iranians have used um, the have used the ruble and gold through the Turkish banks and now the yuan in order to get around, you know, using the dollar in order to bring energy into the into a country that needs whose all of their financial instability in Turkey comes from the fact that they don't produce much in the way of their own energy. And it's the same, India's got the same problem, right? And so now, you know, India and Russia are working out terms of, uh, of how to do business outside of the dollar. India has always bucked this, even going back to the Obama administration when Obama kicked Iran out of SWIFT in 2012. You know, India and, and Iran were doing trade in, you know, mung beans and washing machines and the rest of it in order to get oil into India and oil out of Iran and, you know, spare parts and whatnot, what they needed in Iran that India provided for them. So this is coming. And when you get to a point where it's either you knuckle under or you die and you don't really have another option and but. You, now it's time to then make a big change. And so the Chinese and the Russians are, and, and to a lesser extent, the Iranians are really the, 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 the driving forces here. They're the ones saying, we have a framework that will help you move away. And OPEC absolutely is saying, we're tired of taking your nothing, your debt for our something, our oil. And that's the world, that, that's the, the big thing. And with the Saudis telling Biden no on sanctions, it's, again, another one of these watershed geopolitical events. It's very, very important. So OPEC run by the, China, by the Russians and the Saudis together, effectively, it's now OPEC plus, you, can, you know where that, that, that they stand. And they're right. not going to let the, the Americans and the British and the Europeans bomb the price of oil in the futures market and you know, try and destroy their budgets. So then what happens to the U.S. dollar you know what? No, if we'll that happens? Stop, we'll stop production and we'll, right. and we'll raise prices. Well, Sorry. that's the thing. What happens to the U.S. dollar when that happens to the American economy if the, when, uh, if in, not even with, when the U.S. dollar uh, loses its reserve currency status? Well, it's losing its reserve currency status by a death of a thousand cuts, right? <laughs> um, when I first started think, looking at this stuff 
10, 12 years ago when I was arguing in my living room with my Marxist friends, it was that we were at 71%. Right. When I first went to work for Newsmax in 2013, I was I made I brought this up to my my subscribers and we were at like 67 percent of foreign exchange uh, reserves were U.S. treasuries. Today, it's 59 percent. Right. And actually, a friend of mine owes me a, a bottle of whiskey because by 2020, I said it'd be below 60 percent. And I was right. I was off by a quarter. So I get to be right about that. Um, but. So, yeah, he does. He owes me a bottle of the 15 year McAllen, which I'll never collect on that bet. That's fine. So. The when you it's going to be slow because no one wants this process to be disorderly. No one wants it to be dramatic. Okay, the Chinese don't want a disorderly institutional collapse of the United States any more than we do. Because then who are they going to sell their stuff to? Right. I mean, and the Russians don't want it because then they have to then deal with the Europeans who have proven themselves to be just as vicious towards them, if not more so than the Americans. So the Russians don't want to do this either. They can see the, the 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 way the geopolitical map works out. Everybody has an interest in effectively, let's dismantle the U.S. empire and the vestiges of the British empire that operate within the U.S. political circles, and let us dismantle that slowly in an organized manner. And guess who's saying no to that? The old colonial powers within the European, British, and American establishment. Right. And that's the fight we're dealing with today. And all these other issues are just kind of side issues that show our emanations or, or shockwaves, ripples in a pond of that bigger fight. So are there any other currencies that could prove to be strong? I'm the ruble or the rupee, for instance? The, the ruble, the, the Russians are going to in, try and internationalize the ruble as much as possible because I do think that they're serious about putting together some kind of multinational version of the, SD, of the IMF SDR, the BRICS coin or whatever you want to call it. And everybody whose currencies are – and now they're all kind of jockeying for position for weighting within that system. Like we have the U.S. dollar index, which is a, a weighted index of you know the euro, the the yen, the pound. Those are the ones that dominate, right? The, interestingly, the Chinese yuan is not in the U.S. dollar index, which I find hilarious. So there, you know, when you listen to people like Sergey Glazhev and others talk about this kind of thing, what they're all now jockeying for is how much their economies and their currencies are going to be weighted within that. So uh, the ruble will be a strong player in that simply because the Russians are such strong commodity exporters. But I don't think that they have the capital markets or the capital market capacity to be a dom be the dominant player in that. I think the Chinese are definitely going to be the dominant player in that. Um, and the Russians will be happy to, you know, not play second fiddle, but to support that and complement that system because they are, at the end of the day, you know, in many ways, the world's commodity markets. I was about to say, right. so do you think we'll actually end up with one dominant currency no matter what? Or can we do this multipolar world and be able to survive? I I do. I believe in the I believe the multipolar world is possible. I believe the people who are against the multipolar world are the very ones who who gain the most advantage over the current unipolar world. So of course you would expect them to fight tooth and nail for that which they currently have. Like it, people who have power are deathly afraid of losing it, and so you know that's the that's your, that's the first stage of your of your flowchart of what you expect their behavior to be, right? Um, so that's why that's that's what I see. That's where we are. And the, the the thing that worries me the most is, of course, that they're willing to you know start a kinetic war with two nuclear powers. And on the other side of it, you know, I'm also worried that their attack, 
that the counterattacks from them and others are to destabilize the United States politically and socially and economically such that we descend into some kind of civil war to stop the, the larger war. So then, I mean, what kind of what kind of Hobson's choice is that for America when when there's clearly a third option, which is to do neither of these things? But Tom, like, I don't think we need the outside interjecting. I think internally, America is doing a good, good enough job to lead itself to that type of divisiveness. But then I'm also scratching my head often at this aggressive stance that America is taking towards China. Some might be justified, some might not. But do you think ultimately? This really is about taking the yuan down, and do you think it will succeed? Does it all come down to the mighty dollar? It, it does in some ways. It really comes down. I don't really think it's about the dollar. I mean, I, I firmly believe that what's really driving this is the desire on the part of old European money to get everybody else to fight amongst themselves, and so Europe can like wind up unscathed, and then they can run the world after we're all done you know, beating each other over the head. Right. That's what I honestly see as, as the goal here. If I were like if I were the sick man of Europe, which I'm not, but if I were, I would be looking at my in inability to grow my own food, um, uh, uh, provide my own energy and electricity and everything else and all the basics. Right. The Europeans don't produce enough to support their economy. They have to bring that stuff in. Well, who's so who's the ones that are that are pushing the hardest for climate change controls on the global economy? It's Europe. So how are you going to get out of that when you have a fundamental structural deficit at an economic level? What do you do? Well, you get everybody else who's better than you to fight amongst themselves. I mean, if I'm sitting at the if I'm sitting at the at the at the at the poker table, I'm trying to get the two big stacks to beat each other up while I, while I you know, siphon money off of them. Like that's the way you play that game. It's just a natural outcome or natural you know outgrowth of looking at it from a multi you know, not only multipolar, but a, a multi-actor, factional uh, perspective. And so they, Europe is the only one who benefits from this policy. The United States does not benefit from this. China doesn't benefit from it. The Russians certainly don't benefit from it. The global South doesn't, the rest of the global South doesn't benefit from it. Only Europe, the, the, only Europe. And that's why I keep coming back to, it's about Europe more than it is about China. And that we're being gaslit into believing that there's not a um, there's not a, uh, a negotiation that we can't have like a Yalta and just like carve up the world, like we can't have a second Yalta and just carve up the world and go, yeah, well you go your way, I'll go mine, and we're all good. Like we can do that, but we don't have the people in charge because those people are we don't have Donald Trump in charge. Donald Trump would make that deal in a heartbeat. I mean, he has many deficits as a person and as a president, but he understands this part of the game. Right. Okay. Joe Biden doesn't understand what he had for breakfast this morning. And, and on, ask yourself, who put him in power? And on that note, we will leave the scrambled eggs and toast and say thank you, Tom Luongo, for such a great insight into what is going on, on in the global economy. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. So predicting the future value of any currency is difficult and can be impacted by a wide range of factors, some natural and others under man's control. This debate is one the United States could have avoided if they would have been more fiscally responsible over the last three decades and not have the nation's debt growing larger than its gross domestic product. But as the irresponsible as the United States has been with its monetary policy, its foreign relations policy has as much to blame. The United States has started to draw lines in the sand with China. And as long as the dollar is the reserve currency, 
economic sanctions can be as dangerous to a country as a military weapon. I'm Sky Nell Hughes, and this has been your 360 view of the news, which affects you. Thanks for watching.